Hello, hello. Yes, we've got the crew back. Cheryl Shaw, welcome. Dr. Paul McCarthy, welcome. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. It's a rainy day today, so there's no excuse for people not to be calling with our pet <laughs> questions. You know, it's one of those things you put on the to-do list because it might not, you might think it's not a huge thing. Well, today is the day mm-hmm. to ask that question and Good have idea. it answered. What do you think? Absolutely, because Paul's here ready for all of those questions. He's so ready. He came I'm, in and I'm said, I'm ready. See if you can be our first caller today. We just want to get underway. We're, we're, we're pumped. We're yep. pumped. We're vibed. Ready to go. So now a question, uh, this is actually for Christine. Now she's got a dog, Lola, who is being tormented at the moment. There's stray cats that are coming in each night under the house and it's obviously setting off the dog, which is setting off them and probably the neighbours. So a question on how to get rid of stray cats. And she told me a strategy that I I didn't know if it was correct or not, but she said she's heard that you urinate in a bottle and put it under the house. Is that, mm. is that effective? Mm. So in actual fact, it's not quite as crazy as it sounds. Oh. So um, what lots of cats are doing, are they're, they're using um, that, that behaviour, urinating behaviour, to claim territory. So if a territory already smells like it is claimed... They might think that rather than fight for that territory, we'll leave that alone. That can be whoever lives here and therefore we'll back off and that'll be left alone. Um, So so cats are, are, suburban cats in particular have a really amazing um, structure of of territory. So there's um, pathways or almost sort of highways between houses that are shared. So all cats are allowed to use these particular pathways. Now, off those pathways are owned territories. Now, houses that don't have a cat in their house already are sort of um, vacant spots. So a dog doesn't count as a cat. So the cats recognise that that area is at night not being used by anybody and therefore will claim that area and and often live under houses and different things in areas where cats have not already claimed that turf. This is amazing to me because obviously, unlike us, they can't signpost. How do cats possibly know what's vacant yeah. and what's not? How do they communicate and that? It's often by smell. Yeah. So they're, what they're okay. doing is they're working out which areas are owned by people, uh, I say people, other cats, um, and which are the free spaces to move in. And so cat wow. fights won't always occur when a cat sees another cat. The cat needs to stray into the territory that is being claimed before the fight will occur. Okay. So, so there's these sort of... Um, yeah, highways between everyone's houses that cats all share. And interestingly, if you sort of um, Google this, you can watch um, where people have used Go, you know, GoPros and and, and um, marked photos where cats are, and and you can actually track these highways between houses of where the cats are, are moving. But the problem for under houses is, is a common one, and will become more as you move further towards the summer in that it's this is the time where cats are going to start to come into heat Mm -hmm. because they're what we call daylight ovulators so the longer the day gets the more likely that'll turn their cycle on Ah. so we see most cats start to call towards spring and the end beginning of summer Um, the reason being is that these are hunting animals so it's easier to catch your prey when there's more of them about which is, again, in that summer um, time of plenty. Sure. And so you want to have your offspring on the ground when you can find the most prey. Right. So um, lots of cats are going to be moving now because they want to stake out their territory so that they can have these kittens in. Okay. So it's, it's about trying to sort of make your place less hospitable 
for those cats so they don't choose your home. So, Paul, some other tips to deter the, the cats from uh, staking out what, what is neutral territory because there's only a dog at the yeah, house. Yeah, so, so you're remembering that, you, that these are scent-based animals. They're predominantly judging their world by scent. And, Cheryl, you were mentioning, that, as we've spoken before, about citrus-based oils and, and fragrances that that often, you know, repels cats. That's right. Well, if you use, you know, your citrus oils and place them around in a spray bottle, spray around your doors and your entry areas, it'll keep them away. I know for oh. my son, he had a problem with a stray cat coming to the door and it was really distressing Stephen. So I said, spray it around. And interestingly, the cat hasn't been back. So, mm. so citrus oil and just yeah. then they, Christine can spray it under the yeah, house and around yeah. the doors. Yeah. Even those citrus sprays you have as deodorizers for carpets, that, yes. That's often quite handy for them as well. Oh, and they okay. can use on furniture as well. I know we're sort of digressing a bit, but for anywhere you don't want your cat to be, often using citrus base will repel them. They also don't like reflective surfaces. So some people use mirrored uh, or broken mirrors along their edges of the sort of underneath their houses. Yes, I've seen those. Yeah, and what they're there for is to try and sort of startle the cat out from being under there because often they'll see a reflection, not recognise, of course, it's them, and therefore mm. know that their territory has been owned. So yeah. often and using reflective surfaces, and even people use up um, scrumped up alfoil. So if you sort of wrap alfoil oh, around reflect- it, yeah, 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 it just makes the light bounce in different directions, which cats often don't like as well. So it's some great tips. Or yeah. your old CDs, throw them under there. They're <laughs> yeah, reflective yeah, what a as great well. idea. Yeah, not, not <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus. You had your time. <laughs> oh, poor Billy Ray. Oh, come on, come on. <laughs> oh, some great advice. So there's a few things certainly that that can be done. Yeah, and I'm not sure if they still do it, but the councils will often. Um, um, lease you out cat traps as well, and you can collect the cats in those traps um, and take them to the RSPCA. Oh, Diane, we just read your problem and we've been feeling for you. You would have had a, a pretty hard week or so because your dog is terrified of storms. She's absolutely petrified. She shakes like you wouldn't believe. All right, so let's start, Diane, with how, your breeder dog and how old um, he or she is. She's a Shih Tzu Maltese. Shih Tzu, mm-hmm. and she's two years old. Okay. So at two, there is a chance we can try and reverse this a little bit. So the yeah. problem with noise phobias is, um, and particularly storm phobias, is their unpredictable nature. So they occur at random times. So they're often very hard to desensitize to because you can't often mimic a storm quite as effectively as an actual storm is. But there are some things you can try. The first yeah. thing is, is that Dogs are listening, as I always say, to our body language rather than what we're saying. So when a storm comes, everyone in your house needs to be looking as calm and relaxed as they can. We often even suggest with young puppies, go out in the storm with your puppy. Show really normal body language, wander around with your raincoat on, so that the dog sees that there's nothing to be scared of what they're hearing and seeing as the lightning flashes. Now, in a dog of two, we've we've sadly already had um, enough experience of these storms that the um, fear will be rising each time a storm now hits. So previously it may have been a very small response, but as the time goes from um, that initial reaction, it's going to build. Now, um, the first thing you can do is look at where your dog wants to be during the storm. So often, uh-huh. often dogs will seek what they call their sort of um, den or, or oasis area. 
Um, and for lots of dogs, you can often avoid using medication to help these guys by just allowing them access to where they feel safest during the storm. Now, often where we think is safest is not where the dog feels safest. So lots of people put their dogs in their laundries, thinking that they're more sort of soundproof or in their bathrooms where the tiles will be soundproof. And often these are areas where dogs don't often go. And so it's sometimes places that can actually make it worse than better because not only are they scared of a storm, but they're now in a scary place. Most dogs will tend to try and go to ground, so under beds, in cupboards, under lounges. Um, and, And though your dog may be anxious and need to go there, that coping strategy is a really good one to utilize. So don't feel that because your dog has gone to ground that it's suffering more than if you're holding it in in your arms. And in actual fact, you're probably better to let your dog go to where it wants to go than try to comfort it. The second thing is, is we don't praise the response. So... Um, often we uh, give more attention to our dogs when they're behaving in anxious or scared ways. And what we should really be trying to do is actually ignore those behaviours so the dog realises that that behaviour isn't what the the pack is needing at this time. So um, we we don't sort of go, it'll be okay, good dog, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. Um, We actually just go about our normal day daily routines in our house and have our dog witness normal events so that they're seeing that you're not scared. Now, failing those types of things, then certainly looking to talk to your veterinarian about using anxiety medication. So we often use a combination of medications for storm phobias. We often use a sedative in combination with what we call an anxiety lytic, um, such as Xanax or Valium. Um, And you use those two drugs in combination. Now, as you'd be aware, the problem with most drugs is they need to be given with enough time that they've kicked in before the storm hits. And that's the challenge often for using pharmacology to help you with storm phobias is that generally the dog's been made aware of a storm well before you are. Um, And so getting those tablets in when they're scared can actually heighten a response rather than diminish it. Wow. All right. Well, that's all good. Thank you so much for your help. No problems, Anne. Good luck. We've got Sam from Swansea. Now, you suspect that cats are, are killing birds and leaving them in your yard. I heard you mention about citrus prey. Mm. Is that um, suitable for outside use? Yeah, so most of those, particularly in protected areas, you'll often, of course, need to reapply on a regular basis, but they're mm-hmm. often very they're safe to use. Um, and it's really often, if you do it enough times, cats will sort of learn that that area becomes out of bounds. So you don't have to do it often all the time. It's just often getting those cats who have been coming in to realise that that, that area's been owned. But what it is, um, we've got a few trees in our yard and, and stuff like that, and we're getting a lot of birds in, Yep. Um, various birds. And we've got neighbours that are feeding birds, which I don't have a problem with, but the cats have learned, oh, okay, someone's feeding birds here, let's go. Mm. Right? And um, not long after they've been fed on that, I quite often pick up birds in their backyard, which mm. aren't actually dead, but... They're pretty bad, that bad. They can't fly. They've had oh, their wings damaged and necks torn out and this sort of stuff, you know. Uh, you know yeah, quite, quite distressing. distressing. And, and look, and, and cats are excellent predators. Um, they and, are, yeah. and, and our native birds have 
had to sort of deal with these as an evolutionary change, but evolution takes a long time. So our birds are not really used to being hunted by such an effective killer as cats. So I would perhaps maybe talk to your neighbours about maybe feeding the birds might be an inappropriate thing to do if you're getting that much death around that area because obviously you've got some effective predators and what Mm. we may be doing is luring these birds in with a free food, a free meal, but they don't get to survive the experience. And yeah. are they stray cats? Do we know if the cats have owners or? Oh, I, I know. Well, there's quite a few of them, but um, mm. <clears throat> I'd say they, they. Well, I don't know whether they're actually strays, but um, there's people around here who have got cats and that, you know. Yeah, it is a challenge often for people who feed birds. Is if you're feeding large birds like the magpies and and the cockatoos, of course, they they tend to do okay. But often feeding some of the smaller lorikeets and different things, they don't do well against those big big teeth of cats. All right. Thanks very much, Sam. Let's go to Karen from Soldiers Point. You've got a 10-week-old pup and he keeps scratching. Yeah, and I I, I wondered um, how young you could treat a pup for fleas and ticks and what you could use on them, what was safe to use. Sure. So there are lots of new products on the market and old products, and they all have a different age bracket you can use them for. The one that is safest to use on even newborn pups is Frontline Spray. Um, it's, uh, it's safe to use even from day naught. Um, but any of the oral ones generally require them to be eight weeks or greater. Um, so check your packet before you use any of those. The spot-ons generally also are between eight and 12 weeks, depending upon the manufacturer and the brand. So um, certainly if you're looking at feeding uh, at 10 weeks, most of the products you've got on the market would be safe to use. Okay, yeah, because she's only like a Shih Tzu Maltese. She's only tiny. And that's what made me wonder. Yeah, so there'll also be on most of the products a weight at which they need to be to A, start the product. So even the puppy one, I think for, say, some of them, for example, are often two kilos need to be before you start. Um, but each of the products will have a, a, start, uh, a, a minimum weight they need to be. And there will also be gradations of the packets for different weight ranges. So just make sure you're giving the right weight packet for the dog's weight. Where would you get frontline spray? Uh, most of the, the, the pet shops will have those. Vets will have those as well. Um, it's, it's a very commonly used flea control. The, the spot-on is available as well, but it needs, they need to be older to use the spot-on. But the spray is safe to use. Because you're actually placing the spray on yourself, you're able to work out the amount of, of sprays and squirts per, again, weight of dog. And you just sort of, um, I tend to suggest using gloves, spray your glove with the front line and then use your glove to then run that through the coat to try and get good contact with the skin. Thanks, Karen. Let's go to another caller now. We've got Lynn in Kingfisher Bay. Lynn, how can Paul help you today? Oh, well, I was just listening. Oh, good afternoon. Um, I'm listening to your um, lady about the dog being frightened of thunderstorms. Mm. Well, I've had, I've got a staffy 11 and she's only just been freaking out with thunderstorms the last couple of years and I bought this body glove made of wetsuit material and I was watching an article and about it and how it wraps around the dog and makes them feel comfortable well mm. lo and behold thunder jackets. My, yes my dog sat on the couch when the thunderstorm with her little body glove on and never batted an eyelid Oh, how cool is that? Yeah, beautiful. I did say, and thank you for mentioning that, I did forget Thunder Jackets, and, and I actually use one for one of my dogs, but I don't know why I forgot to use it. But but you're right. So Thunder Jackets are a bit like um, swaddling a baby. I was about to say, you're swaddling your dog. Yeah, that's right. So they their only issue for them sometimes is that um, what can happen is you can ha- habituate your dog 
to the jacket. So often they see the jacket coming out and think that the storm is coming. And sometimes you can actually, in, in long-term use, it's been shown that it can actually exacerbate them. So I really like them. I, I think they're a great opportunity to get a dog trained to that. The, the advantage of doing that early too is if you catch them and you can then desensitize them to the storm, you've got the double whammy that eventually you won't need the jacket because the storm is no longer scary. So, well, that's um, exactly what happened. Yeah, My dog perfect. That one. And the next thunderstorm, she wasn't nearly as freaked out as she normally is. But I don't get the jacket out when the thunderstorm starts. I wait till she gets all upset. Then I put it on. But it's only been once that she's had to wear it. And the next storm, she was much better. So Terrific. that lady might want to get one of those. Yeah, yeah. And, and and all pet shops will have those. They're, they're, they're really good. They come in different colours and styles and different fabric types. The neoprene one that you mentioned is quite a common one. Um, but they come in, a fabric, in fabrics as well. Um, and mm. I think, as you mentioned, probably best to start it not when they're too scared before you put it on. Um, I, I do encourage you to sort of have it placed on in your circumstance, you don't need to now because the dog's doing well. But if you are just starting out to use one of those, use it before the panic kicks in. Because it's when the panic kicks in that if you put it on that they'll connect it to the panic. Right. Well, I put it on after when the storm started because I could see her say to pace and Yeah, that's, what, that's when you do it before they get yeah. too, too anxious because sometimes yeah. if they're scared and they can't move quite as well, they, they get more scared as well. So it, they're, they're really good opportunities to help dogs desensitise the storms. Well, they certainly work for my dog. That's great news. Yeah, that is. That's very cool. Thank you for the call, Lynn. 49216216 is our number. We have a free line if you've got a question for Dr. Paul McCarthy. And having a look at our dog of the week, and it's Barley. Now, Barley looks like a beautiful... Hang on, I'll show you a picture. Sorry, I just, I just had to close the screen on the computer and it's very hard to reach and be in front of the microphone because I'm short. All right, so I'll just do that. Look, Barley's a stunner. He's a four-year-old male Mastiff cross and he is a big sook who absolutely loves any kind of affection and cuddle. So no. he's a big dog, but, oh, my gosh, he looks beautiful. Yeah, There's even a photo where he's leaning in yeah. to whoever the owner or his, his person minding him to rest his head on her knee. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah. A very common massive trait, actually, is the lean. Lots, lots of large breed dogs do the lean in. Oh, so it's not affection. Oh, no, what it is. is. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good, good. sign. Oh, because I thought, oh, is that just a, you know, yeah. characteristic trait? No, they're just beautiful. Uh, so, look, he's great with dogs of any size. Uh, he's good with small dogs, big dogs. He really is a friendly giant. He would love another dog as a companion, but he probably would also be happy to have his owner's attention to himself. So, either or. He's had basic training, but we're looking for a home with a dedicated owner or owners to give him ongoing training, especially with learning how to walk nice on the lead. Uh, Bali is fully toilet trained. He knows not to jump. That's a big thing mm-hmm. for big dogs. So yep. that's a win right there, it's isn't it? Already, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, uh, he can be a bit of an escape artist, obviously. With a big dog, you're going to need big fences. So mm-hmm. make sure you've got a secure backyard. He's looking for a home where he's allowed to sleep inside, of course, and be treated as part of the family. 
Uh, he also won't mind human siblings. He's great with kids. So look, if you've got young kids, he's very placid around them as well. So there you go. And he's great around cats. Gee, and pocket pets. He is a beautiful nature, isn't yeah. he? He loves everyone and everything. So if you think he can provide a forever home with Bali, please have a look at him on our website. It's a brand new website. It looks fabulous, by the way. 2NURFM.com and uh, have a look at Bali. All the details are there if you think that you can provide him. Uh, with a fair forever home, which would just be beautiful. Okay, 49216216 is our number. Yes, we're talking pet chat, and I believe we've got Sue from Patterson on the line. Uh, your dog keeps chasing your horse. Yeah, I've got two little ponies, and he only chases one. One stands still, and the other one kicks and goes on suey. Um, and he only seems to, it's a friend's dog, I'm minding him. Um, for a while, and he's just started to chase the horse. Yeah. So uh, what breed of dog is, are you minding, Sue? Uh, Can you say that again, Sue? You just dropped out oh, on us. A collie? A collie. I was going to say, oh. this is a work dog. <laughs> so um, your dog is actually performing a behaviour that instinctually it has always wanted to do. Um, and it has found a playmate who wants to do the same thing. So... Um, You've got two choices, uh, a, a bigger fence around your horse um, or, or you allow the horse to more or less um, let the dog know when it's had enough. Now, that could end difficultly. So, um, yeah, so I, I would strongly suggest maybe um, trying to nip that behaviour in the bud. Um, Collies are work dogs. So I was going to put an electric fence around the horse and um, just to see if that helped. Ah, uh, your um, dog would be too clever for the electric fence, I would imagine. They, they'll work out how to get under it or around it or over it. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, what, what you're trying to do really is prevent the stimulus for that behaviour to occur. So in all realistic um, you know, uh, options would be the collie just not, needs to not see the horses. Um, because as soon as, as soon as the behave, as soon as the the, the, the horse is witnessed, that behaviour will be elicited. Um, and generally, for a work dog, it'll keep happening until one of them stops. Um, and it will it will probably be the horse, and the horse will give the a dog a fairly big heave ho when it's had enough. Well, yeah, he's been trying to kick in. Yeah, yeah. So I think before there's any damage done to either the horse or the dog, I, I would just recommend your your only real option is to keep them separate. You've you've missed the option I thought. What's yours? Sorry to the friend, but I can't mind him anymore. Oh, <laughs> give the give the dog back. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Not my. There you are. That's an even easier option for you, Sue. Not my problem. Give no. the dog back. Sue's obviously a very good friend. Before we go to our next caller, we need to say a bit of a hello. Paul, your husband Trent listens with the kids and teachers at the school sometimes. Well, I think it's mainly the reception staff who listen. But yes, oh, yeah. fantastic. Walls End South Public School. That's it. Yep. So shout out to everyone there today. Oh, we hope you're well. We hope your pets are well. It's probably indoor play today, so I'm sure all the teachers are probably hoping that the um, day ends quickly. (laughs) (laughs) And all the parents are thinking, please take longer. longer." (laughs) Oh, well, thank you for listening. And, you know, if you've got any questions, 49216216. We've got Paul here ready to go. Now, let's cross to Pam uh, from Cessnock. Oh, your dog's got an interesting diet at the moment, Pam. (laughs) <laughs> well, not the most tasty. Yeah, so eating her own feces, that seems okay. to be a bit of a thing. Yeah, it's a its a common theme. And how long has it been happening for, Pam? Uh, maybe 18 months, 
going on two years. Yeah. So generally what your dog is trying to do is not show its presence to the neighbourhood. So what um, what's happening is that the, the scent of a dog is being left on that when um, the dog is, has been doing the, the, went to the bathroom in your backyard. Um, and because of that, it, it lets the other dogs know that it's there. Now, for dogs who have anxiety or are fearful of their, their surroundings, what they'll try and do is mask their presence by um, removing any evidence of their scent to the environment. So in this circumstance, by eating that, it's not allowing other dogs to know that it's there. So does your dog have any other signs of anxiety? Well, as... In storms, yes, yep. very, very much so. Um, but I've also got a Japanese chin who is seven and he goes around like if she does a wee, he goes around and he wees over the top of her. Yeah. And um, But he doesn't go anywhere near her poos. No, because that would and be that, not. See, he, he he doesn't yeah. need to do that because she's doing yeah. it for him. So yeah. so the the Japanese chin has owned the yard and is claiming ownership of that yard with with the urination process. And so right. your other dog said he doesn't believe that any of the territory is safe enough for it, and so it's trying to remove any evidence of that that territory. So it's really about trying to have um, a fairly. Um, either neutral zone where the dogs can go somewhere else to do that to try and prevent that behaviour from happening. It may be that one dog um, uses the bathroom in the back of the house and the other one goes to the front yard instead, and so you've got a separate turf for both of them. Um, it's really about trying to make the, the other dog feel that there is um, there isn't a need to hide. Uh, you, you can you can still have some territory that's not owned by the other dog. Right. Well, she has lately taken to the lounge room. <laughs> yeah, because she's really nervous about where she can go. So this this will escalate. So it's about her trying to feel as safe as you can. Um, you could probably help with that using some, have a chat to your local vet about using either maybe a dactyl, um, which is a collar you can wear to try and make the dog um, personally feels safer, or you can use adaptal um, plugins in your wall which make the house smell safer. That can sometimes... Um, inhibit dogs from defecating in areas like that because it, it really what what the dog is showing you is that it doesn't know where it's safe to defecate. So it's choosing places that haven't been used before because it doesn't really know where it can go safely. I just find this so amazing, you know, behaviour that you think is is weird when you actually explain it, Paul, and knowing the, the psychology behind it, it makes perfect sense, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Dogs are not difficult creatures to understand. They're, they're telling us everything we need to know. We're just really poor at understanding it, generally. Yeah. 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 Okay, let's go to another call. Good luck with that, Pam. We've got Peter from Stanhope now. Your dog is obsessed with playing with the ball. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, she's a two-year-old border collie. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I almost picked your breed before the question was even told <laughs> me, Peter. To play a game next week and do that. <laughs> yeah, no, she's a gorgeous dog. We we love her dearly, but it gets a little frustrating at times because uh, she will just play ball twenty-four-seven. Yep. And she has this habit of putting the ball in an inaccessible spot. Mm-hmm. She'll she'll put it in the paddock where we have our goats, for example. Uh, I think she expects the goats to play with it. 
Oh, she'll put it. You, you dig a hole and she'll drop it into the bottom of the hole a- anywhere that is difficult for you to get it. Well, so she's trying to engage you in the game. Exactly yeah. right. That she does. Yeah. Very successfully. Yeah. <laughs> so we, you've got a uh, a work dog who has yeah. found a task to complete. So yeah. I, I don't have sheep to chase. I don't have any other work I need to do. So the ball becomes my job. Um, and so work dogs often become almost obsessive compulsive about getting these these tasks completed and, and their to-do list done. So generally the important thing with these is um, – Trying to have times of a day where the ball is allowed to be used, and we and, and we take the ball away, and we and we, we remove it from sight when the game is over. Um, what we're trying to do is really limit that stimulated behaviour to certain times of a day that are appropriate for you to enjoy hit that game with your dog. Um, sometimes even allowing this game to continue fuels itself. And it may be what you may need to do completely is redirect the ball game to a different type of game completely. It might be when he brings the ball out, we might get out a Ruchu or a pig's ear or something else that we can then yep. distract to do a, an eating game rather than the ball game. Um, it, yeah, it, it can be difficult when, when, when the drive to complete that task is very, very high. So often it's about looking for ways to manage it Generally, exclusion from the game is your only real way to break that cycle. Right, right. Well, the thing is, we take one ball away and she dashes off somewhere and finds another one. Yeah, you have to exclude, you have to remove all the toys. It, it, it's sort of, yeah. dogs will find their own sometimes um, because this drive to get that job completed is very high in, in, in work dogs. Um, lots of working dogs often develop these as displacement behaviours. I'm really bored and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I know, I'll just chase this ball until I can't run anymore. So it, it yeah. can also be a dysfunctional behaviour as well as game playing. Yeah, I I often hit it down a, a, a steep hill and she chases the ball all the way down this hill and brings it back to me and, and until she's pretty much exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's about sort of making her her quality of life good um, without playing too much of that obsession. Mm, Okay, I was going to ask if if a ball goes in a hole that you can't retrieve, whether she's happy with another ball, and obviously she is. It doesn't matter which ball, just as long as... No, generally it's not an attachment to the ball. So what people often are confused by is that they think it's the ball that they're they're doing, but what they're doing is the action. Right. Okay, it's the right. chase and retrieve, chase and retrieve, chase and retrieve. Right. The, it could yeah. be a ball or a stick or, or anything they can find, but it's, the, it's that stimulated, um, almost instinctually trained um, action that once the trigger is turned on, they have to complete the activity. Yeah, yeah. okay. They'd be very productive as humans. Oh, they? these are the Board people who are at work all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're the ones that you're like, they're go the home. That's go. right. They're the pains that always draw, draw attention to the boss that more should be done. Oh, my but these goodness. dogs are so good at controlling the human as well. I mean, they, they make the human throw that ball because they constantly bring it, and the human has difficulty in stopping. Oh, sure. So they perpetuate the whole thing. Puppy dog eyes. Who can mm-hmm. say no? to a dog looking at you with those little eyes, you know? And, and Peter's quite a classic in that what often happens is they then try and find areas to get the dog that are so far away <laughs> that the game isn't, I have to throw it as quickly, 
I'll throw it or boot it or fling it. And you'll yes. see these people in the park, they've got those balls on those um, extender sticks but they, they go for miles. Yes. It's because I don't have to throw it as quickly because the dog's got further to run there and back. Very good. And that's it for us. That's Pet Chat. Uh, we will be back next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.